The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 855 for Monday, February 1st, 2021. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found. We collect some cool stuff found and tips of our own. We try to answer your questions. Sometimes we answer our own questions. Whatever we do, we assemble it into an agenda that is built such that we hope the aim is that each of us gets to learn at least five new things. Five new things. Each and every time we get together, sponsors for this episode include textexpander.com slash podcast mintmobile.com slash mgg helixsleep.com slash mgg and linode.com slash mgg we'll talk more in depth about each of those a little bit later of course and we'll talk a little bit in depth about how sponsorships work because there's some things happening that you as a podcast listener should know about but that'll be later in the show for now here in durham new hampshire ready to learn five new things i'm dave hamilton and here in fearful connecticut getting ready for the storm Right. This is John F. Braun. Yeah, that's right. We're getting in. It should be, I think each of us are due to get about a foot in the next, uh, in the early part of this week. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just how it goes. Life in New England as it, as it is. All right. Uh, Let's do this, John. So you want to, you want to start us off with a little iOS 14 ish, 14.4. Can I say? Yes. I know I'm already pulling us on a tangent, but when I, when I say 14.4 and when I write it, for some reason, I have this like warm, nostalgic feeling about our 14.4 modems and when we got those. So I know that's like massive old school, but you know, there you go. So, huh. Anyway. Is it 144.12 squared? Uh, yes. Maybe, maybe not. Yes. Okay. That's what jumps out at me. But anyway, so <laughs> right after we did the last show, uh, a day or two later, Apple released iOS 14.4. And you should get it for a number of reasons. Um, one is it adds some features, and I'll talk about one of them. The other is that there's a lot of security stuff uh, that they patched up. So update now, update. if not sooner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, agreed. This is one of those that's like more important than usual from a security standpoint. So, yeah. You want to talk yeah. about one you of those? You know, there's, sec- there's another security thing. I should share this with Andrew, but... uh. Have you heard about this? Uh, I read there was a pseudo exploit. I saw something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That there's, there's okay. a, yeah, I did not dig into it. Uh, but, but yes, you're right. I mean, I read the, the, the thing, it didn't mention Mac OS specifically, but the version of pseudo that is in Mac OS, uh, is the version that could be a problem. So, um, Interesting. <clears throat> be careful out there. Don't let people run pseudo on your machine. <laughs> yeah no kidding um that's a good i mean that's that's good advice even if there is no exploit pseudo in and of itself is an exploit i think so yeah mm-hmm. anyway um but anyway so yep todd wrote in and let us know about that um and so one of the features that they added so we did have somebody mention you know we we were pondering why there was a uh, Bluetooth device setting on Elliot's uh, setup, but not on ours. And it's because he was running the 14.4 beta. Um, 
But anyway, so 14.4 lets you do a whole bunch of things. Uh, yeah, I can go through some of these. You know, smaller QR codes uh, can be read by the camera. Uh, if you didn't know, if you run the camera app and you put it up next to a QR code, it'll resolve it and go to probably a website. Um, yeah, I've, I've found that it will only go to websites. Have you been able to get text out of a QR code on just with the default iOS 14.4 thing? Um, I would have to build one with just text in it. Yeah, correct. I have one with just text in it that I was looking at the mm-hmm. other day and it like the, the, the app got confused. So I downloaded QR reader or something from the, from the app mm-hmm. store. And then that showed me, you know, the, the full contents of the, of the QR yeah. code. Yeah. Because you could have a lot of fun building your own barcodes. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I'll tell you a little, I'll tell you a little story. Um, so we have um, self-service lottery machines here in our state. Okay. And uh, to verify your age, um, they scan your license. And uh, on our licenses, there's a barcode uh, called a PDF-417, and it's not secure in the least. And it has all your information, your name, your address, and your date of birth. Um, right. So I created uh, my own barcode that indicated my date of birth was something other than my date of birth and saw if I could fake the machine out. And yep. No kidding. I made a barcode that said I was a hundred years old and it was like, Oh, okay. You can, you can buy lottery tickets. You're, you're still allowed. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They don't, it, it, it's, they don't secure the barcode in any way and they could, but they don't. Right. So, right. Right. The fish shake at, uh, at our state and any other state that has that out in the open. PJ in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com says that uh, QR codes uh, are good for sharing Wi-Fi, uh, SSID, and passwords, too, which I, that's uh, not a bad think, idea to get for your house. Well, I think the I believe the Eero client will let you generate one if you want someone to. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, it'll it'll generate and then you can share it with the person you want to log into your network without revealing the password, I guess. Right. Right. And a shout out to Dr. Dream, who pointed out that uh, in the chat room that not only is 12 squared 144, but also negative 12 squared is 144 because it's not just John and I that are the geeks here. We're all geeks. (laughs) All geeks are welcome. You don't have to be a geek here. Everybody's welcome. It's how it goes. So. Uh, what else did they put in here? Oh, yeah. Another thing uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, 14.4 will yell at you if you have a non-Apple camera component in your iPhone 12. I don't know how much of a problem that is in the real world, but. Right. Right. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I yeah. mean, I suppose you could go to a repair shop that uses non-Apple parts if your camera's broken. So don't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Will it not work or does it just I think it just tells you that you're not. It tells you their statement and they have a support article somewhere about it. But their statement is that even though the camera will work, you probably will not get good pictures because. Okay. Because it's not an Apple camera. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. As we've said many times, the magic that is Apple's camera's ability to take pictures really is a marriage of hardware and software. And quite frankly, probably more software than hardware. I mean, they put not terrible cameras in these things, but 
you know, the, all the software that pulls all that stuff together and does all the crazy math. And uh, thanks, Griffin. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, makes it so that you can mm-hmm. take these low light pictures that you can't even see. And then it's like, oh, yeah, it looks great. You know, uh, that I think I think maybe that's where Apple's going with this. It's like, look, you know, the software rewrite assumes that you're using the exact camera that we put in there. And if that's not it, then, yeah, your mm-hmm. pictures could suffer. So, yeah. <sighs> cool. All and right. there's some other there. There's there's some other stuff, but you know, uh, we're we're, we're going to link to the. Uh, well, I re- it's already in the show notes. Finish there's the the, uh, the info from Apple. So, um, but yeah, go through as we talked about last week with that with the Bluetooth Bluetooth device type and the uh, headphone safety and all of that. Go through your Bluetooth devices and make sure that your phone knows which of them are headphones and which of them are not. And that is possible in 14.4. You go into settings Bluetooth and you tap the little I next to each of your Bluetooth devices. And most, but not all, of them will let you select. Like my car, I choose car radio instead of, uh, you know, headphone. But for some folks, it defaults to headphones if it doesn't know better. So if you're using something like you know, one of those Rove car adapters or the, you know, the Amazon car adapter, those might show up as headphones and then start giving you trouble with headphone safety like we talked about last week. So make sure you go set that right. Make Or just confirm mm-hmm. that it's right. So, All right. You want to take us to Mike, John? All right. Mike says, hey, guys, you may have answered this question already. We may have. Um, and if so, please let me know which episode. I've exhausted the foo on this one. Um, I have a 2018 Mac mini with the small internal SSD and a four terabyte external where my local user directories are held. The issue is I'd like to have all the files in iCloud Drive stored locally also on the external drive. Is this possible? I must use OneDrive for some work and uh, personal stuff, and it's very easy to locate the main folder and tell it to bring everything local also. Help. All right. Well, we can help here. So it's not entirely obvious, but... Um, that stuff is stored locally um, in home library mobile documents. Um, it's just not obvious that that's, that's the location. And I actually verified on my setup. Um, I, I looked at my latest uh, CCC clone and sure enough, the documents that were in that directory were on that drive as well. So. Um, that is true. As long as you don't have optimized Mac storage turned on, if you have uh, optimized Mac storage, as I'm thinking about this, if you've got optimized Mac storage turned on, then you will only have some local copies, not all. And you do that in system preferences, uh, Apple ID, iCloud, and that's there's a checkbox for optimized Mac storage. So just make sure if you want all local copies, make sure you uncheck that optimized box and then it will just have everything local so that that's that's one piece of it and then the the other piece john is you know he was asking can i store this on an external drive and the answer is not really no i've heard of some people trying to sim link that folder the the uh, home library mobile documents folder to something on an external drive but i've also heard that that does not end well so I think the answer is no, unfortunately, unless unless you store your entire home folder on an external drive, then it's fine. So that would be the that would be and that it, that's not 
it's not a default configuration, but it is a supported configuration. It's not entirely easy to do, but Apple has knowledge based articles about it. And we'll find one and put them in the show notes. Um, if, uh, if somebody in the chat room doesn't get it, get there first. So, but, uh, storing, storing your home folder on an external drive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can do that. So I don't know. Anything else on this one, John? Nope. Okay. Richard, uh, while we're talking about home folders, Richard had sent in a tip to us, John, where uh, about uh, some some tricks that you can do to prevent a folder from syncing to iCloud Drive. It's a techmentor.uk article. And if you name a folder with dot no sync at the end of the folder name, so like large files dot no sync, N-O-S-Y-N-C, that folder and anything in it, including subfolders, will not sync to iCloud. So that I found that to be an interesting thing. And I'm I'm I don't have the link here, but I'm gonna look for it. There is um I believe that Howard Oakley uh at Eclectic Light uh had something had an article about no sync and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, here's the article. Okay. So um, it's telling us what folders will and won't sync. But in addition to things with .nosync or .tmp, um, anything named Dropbox or any of the things that Dropbox would use, it won't do because it it uh, wants to avoid a storm where Dropbox and iCloud Drive are syncing and non, non-stop with each other. That would be bad. So if you put your Dropbox and iCloud Drive, it's, it's going to sync to Dropbox, presumably, but not to iCloud um, anything named iPhoto library and presumably now photos library too will not sync. Uh, and, and there's a couple others. So we'll put, I'm actually going to put that as the link in the show notes. Sorry, uh, techmentor.uk, but Howard Oakley's link is better, quite frankly. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. I never knew about that dot no sync thing. That's super handy, man. Hmm. Right. I mean, I think so. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, all right. What are we looking at here? We've got some cool stuff found. We've got some questions. I want to take a minute, John, and talk about our first two sponsors. If we're, if we're good with this uh, iCloud stuff. We are good. All right. Sweet. Our first sponsor today is Linode at Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G which is where you can go to simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. They let you develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. And so this is, you're developing a personal project, right? I mean, it's pandemic. We're doing all kinds of things. You're going to need a server to put them on. So whether it's personal or business or maybe a blend of both, you're going to need a server and you want server nerds to take care of those things for you so they're not your headache and then you can just do the stuff that you want to do and this is what Linode is for well it gets even better than that because you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit just for being a listener of Mac Geek Gab here it, it, it's true 100 US dollars in free credit at Linode just for being a listener of Mac Geek Gab well all you have to do is go to Linode L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G sign up and you're good to go because if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit Linode.com slash MGG and click on the create free account button to get started. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. 
Next up is Smile at TextExpander.com slash podcast. That's right. We get to talk about TextExpander this month. And I'm super excited because I love TextExpander. It is an app that I use all the time. And if I accidentally quit it on my Mac, I know it immediately because I suddenly feel like I'm typing with mittens on. I no longer have all of the beautiful little shortcuts and everything at my fingertips like I do when Text Expander is running, which is why it's running all the time, including right now on my computer. You get to say goodbye to repetitive text entry. You get to say goodbye to spelling and message errors. You get to say goodbye to trying to remember the right things to say. If you've said it once, you can make it a little better, right? And then you can put it into Text Expander so that it is there for you in the future. Because when you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Way better than copy and paste. Way better than scripts and templates. You got to check out Text Expander. And you can take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander and save some money. Because listeners of Mac Geek Cab get 20% off your first year at TextExpander.com slash podcast. Go check it out, textexpander.com slash podcast, or thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, you know, funnily, funnily, funnily enough, on our first uh on our first cool stuff stuff found here, we have yet another link to Eclectic Light. So uh, you know, Howard keeps us geeks uh doing things. And it's from Steven, or Steve, sorry, uh, who linked us to a piece that Howard wrote about all the startup modes. For M1 Max, we talked about this in the show. Uh, Apple has completely revamped the way things start up. Most of the things that you can get to uh, for starting up an M1 Mac are just done by holding down the power button, waiting until the startup options screen comes up, which is great. Uh, safe mode, recovery mode, diagnostics mode, uh, the startup manager. Uh, setting the default startup volume and verbose mode. I think we've still got to do with, a, with a, um, I don't think you can do it with command V anymore. I think it has to be done with NVRAM, but you might be able to do it with command V. He doesn't say one way or, or another. There is no resetting of the SMC though, John, which is, uh, which makes sense it, because there's no potentially no SMC. I don't know, but we might need a way to reset NVRAM at times. Huh? Not sure about that. But anyway, this article's great. It walks through all of the different things and it's worth just taking a read through so that you know. But really the the thing to remember with an M1 Mac is just hold down the power button and that will bring up the the startup menu for almost everything you'd need, uh, which is super handy. So I I, I like that they've simplified it in that sense cuz man, what a pain in the neck that was. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 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 I don't know. What uh what do you think, Mr. Braun? Any any thoughts on any of that? Um I'm I'm good on non M1 Max for now, so Right, that's right. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. <clears throat> cool. Okay. Um I had the opportunity to check out a few things here, John. The first were the Erin A3s, which were announced at CES. Erin was the first company to make true wireless earbuds like like we know with airpods now and airpods pro and you know the the anchor things that i meant or the soundcore things i mentioned recently the a3s are super light and like 
you, you won't lose them in your ear, but they're really small. They just pop in your ear. I feel like a spy. You know, John, when you're, you're watching those those movies and and or, or TV shows about like the FBI or whatever, and they're like, OK, well, we got to drop a little earbud in your ear so that you can hear. But nobody knows it's there. It's not quite that small, but it's this it's, it's it's almost that small. And it's an open they call it an open audio design, which means it it is not built to seal in your ear so you hear you can hear sounds around wouldn't be good on an airplane i don't think i mean it might be fine for some people but with all the ambient noise you wouldn't like it but for you know walking around a city or exercising or something like that where you want to be able to hear ambient sounds uh and this and the sound is great and calls are great it's got like five hours of play time it's the case has wireless charging i feel like that's gonna that's gonna be a um you know, table stakes now because having the, having the ability to put something in the case and Apple, I think Apple was the first to do that. At least that I know of where you just take the AirPods pro case and throw it on a, you know, on a cheap pad and you're done. It charges it right up. So, so anyway, that's the ear and a threes. They're uh, 199 bucks. They sound great. I'm, I'm super stoked about these things. Super stoked. Uh, any questions on that before I move on to the next one, John? Nope. All right. On. Cool. Uh, hyper. Uh, the, the our friends in uh, that, that make all kinds of like charging solutions have their uh, Hyperjuice. It's a gallium nitride 66 watt USB C charger, John. So this thing has two USB C ports, each capable of 66 watts, unless they're sharing it, in which case it's you know it's split between them, and a USB A port that's capable of what's called Quick Charge 3.0 at 36 watts. So if you've got devices that'll pull that much power, it's there. And this thing is not much bigger than the little brick that you uh, you get from Apple, like with an iPad or something. I mean, this thing, the Web page, I mean, it's huge on the Web page. It's way bigger on, on the Web page than it actually is in person, at least for me. This thing is tiny, man. Um, I wish they had put it next to like a phone or something so you could really see but uh, but it it's great. It's 60 bucks. So, you know, you, you get what you pay for with things like this. But uh, but having the two USB C's and the USB A with all that power, you know, you charge your iPad, your laptop, your phone, your watch, whatever, you know, um, two, three of those all at once, in fact. And it's still just tiny. So fits in a plug and fits in your travel bag when we can do that again and all that good stuff. So, yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's good. But. The one that I was really, or and I should say, I'm actually really stoked about that. That was sort of a sleeper thing. They were like, oh, can we send this to you and check it out? I'm like, yeah, okay, another charging brick. And I was like, whoa, it's really small. Uh, the, the, so, so then it made it to the show. Like, you know, um, the Nomad Base Station Pro, I, we talked about this when a listener recommended it a few episodes ago. So this is, this is what Apple promised us with AirPower, John where it is a chi pad with lots of chi coils in it and can is built to charge three devices at once, but it's just a pad and you just throw your phone down, you throw your AirPods down and boom, it starts charging. It's really kind of magic. There's three little lights on it that tell you which of the three, I think it sort of localizes it to left, middle, right, and it tells you which of them, but I think there's, I don't know. I think they said there's like 18 different coils in there and it, it knows how to focus on your device by just throwing it down on this pad. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, it does charge my phone in that grip to you case with the rubber strap on it. 
but the, but then the phone gets unhappy because it's, you know, I, I think that case, they say it's built for Qi. I've, I've had success on some Qi pads, but obviously not on others with the grip to you case. But, um, and this is one of them where it, it will charge it up and then that's the end. Um, but, uh, but man, this thing is uh, like super cool to have. I, I, I'm trying to think of where the best place to have it would be. Uh, I, I suppose a bedside table or, you know, it's maybe on your desk in your office or something. I, to me, a hotel room would be the perfect place for something like this. Cause you just get there and there's this big pad and you just throw whatever you want on it and you're good to go. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's impressive that this actually exists after not, believing that air power ever could exist. So I was pretty stoked when, when I found it, John, or when I, when I tried it and it was like, holy crap, it actually works. <laughs> pretty cool, huh? And how much is it? Mm. That's a good question. I think it's 200 bucks. Okay. I think so. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Why is that not listed on the page that I have it on? Uh, hmm. Yeah. I think it's 200 bucks. No, one. Yeah. One ninety nine. One ninety nine. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you're, you're, you get what you pay for with something like this, but it does work. So if, if this is what you want, you're good to go. And they say that they've got a, an Apple watch mount coming on this. That's interesting. Huh? Does It's hmm. not here yet. Yeah. It. Okay. So you would put your watch puck in this thing and then it it sort of oh so this now makes it really nice for the bedside table it 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 clips onto the back of it oh that's really interesting i'll put a link to that in there um yeah huh i see this is why we do this show because i love to learn about gadgets and i love to learn stuff all right john you learned some stuff you want to take us to bill Oh, what did I learn here? Uh, Sorry, I, I kind of jumped you on that one. I, was there any more on the, mm-hmm. the Nomad thing or no? No, no. I okay. and actually, I like your uh, I like your idea of. Uh, hold on, I'll find it. No, I like your idea. Hotels should buy these for their uh, customers. I mean, it's I think you'd pay at two hundred bucks a pop. I mean, of course, there'd be bulk discounts and all mm. that stuff, but at two hundred bucks a pop, I feel like. You're going to pay for that in the price of the hotel room <laughs> to have one of these there, but mm-hmm. it for like a boutique, you know, an upscale kind of hotel room, having something like this, it's super elegant because it's literally just a a pad with like a little cushion on it, and you just throw your stuff down, and boom, you're good to go. They'd have to put a label on it because no one would know what it mm-hmm. was, right? Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's 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 that kind of elegance. It's really understated, and you just it's you know there you go. So yeah, yeah. All right. So Bill has a question. Um, I'm setting up a one terabyte external SSD to use with my MacBook Pro running Big Sur. I want to be able to use Carbon Copy Cloner with it so I can boot from it if needed. I also want um, uh, and I also wanted a, a place to put my photo library, music and iMazing backups and other files. How should I set it up? I knew how to do things before APFS. I would have made two partitions, but I'm not sure how to proceed in APFS. Um, well, I proceeded to do this in APFS. So, um, uh, with a, a spare SSD, um, okay. I think it was a crucial. So I had a one terabyte external SSD. Um, uh, so here's, uh, here's what you got to do. So first, uh, you format it, 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 go to just utility, um, 
Uh, that's what it does. And when you format the drive, format is APFS, make the scheme GUID partition map, though you're not going to actually be using partitions here, but that's what it's called. Well, you'll have one partition. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the name can be whatever you want because it's not going to be really important in a moment here. Uh, you'll then see the drive show up. Under that, it'll show container, disk, and a number. And then under that, the whatever from the last step. Um, like the, the name of the drive, now, the name of the volume from the last step? Yes. Yeah, got yeah it. untitled. Uh, and it defaults to untitled. Sure. Um, the next step is delete untitled. Um, oh. And to delete it, you're going to see at the top of the disability screen a volume choice and next to it is a plus and a minus uh minus deletes it then here is the the thing that's slightly different here so you're not going to add partitions what you're going to add here are volumes so once you delete that untitled volume then go to uh, click on the plus sign which is going to add a volume and here's the important part um so i created two i called one backup and I call the other one media, which uh, it sounds okay. like that's what he wants to do. Sure. Um, but the important part here is that when you create it, when you create the volume, you're going to see a size options dot, dot, dot button. That's where you want to go and set the size of the volume. Got it. Um, so what I did, um, <laughs> uh, what I did is when I first set it up, I set uh, back up to 500 gigs and media to 500 gigs um that was kind of dumb because um then then i went in new carbon copy cloner and tried to set up a backup task and so i indicated you know my ssd which is one terabyte and has about 700 being used you can see where i'm going with this and then i selected the destination as the backup volume um well ccc said well no there's not enough room for this and i'm like uh so I redid it and made that the the backup one nine hundred gigs and the media one one hundred gigs. Couldn't um, you have then just you resized that, the the backup one because that's APFS right? Because it it it's just logically um, pointing. I'm I'm pretty sure you could have just resized it. I think that's doable. There. It wasn't clear to me where to okay. go to resize it, so I just created uh, deleted them and, and created them again. Sure. So sure. Um. And yeah, and in the finder, you'll see this. The volumes will show up. They'll say, yeah, I have 900 uh, gigs or 100 gigs. Um, and then when I set up the carbon copy cloner job, a dialogue comes up saying the destination must be modified if you require a bootable copy of Mac OS. So that convinced me that what I did was correct. Correct. Yeah, that makes so, sense. That's uh, So that's what you need to do. So the, the, the terminology is a little different, but... The process is um, is pretty much the same. Yeah, you're right. There is no man. I could have sworn that I was able to resize the volume. Yeah, and I hmm. I've also I don't want to mess with it because the only drive I have attached no. <laughs> to this is the one that the show is recording to. So yeah, uh, but um, I could have sworn that I not only was able to resize a volume. But also I could set a volume I could I could create let's say I could create three volumes or in your case two and not set a maximum size on either of them 
and just let them both use the pool of storage that was there. So if you had, had not put size limits on either of these volumes and just set up, you know, it, actually, you, if even if you had just left the untitled there, rename that to backup, then add another volume, call that media. I think Carbon Copy Cloner would have been like, fine, like it would have seen that there was a terabyte available for use for both of them. Mm-hmm. And then the the amount of storage available would would ratchet down for both as you use one or the other. So you approximated the uh, you did something that's analogous to a partition scheme where you mm-hmm. you fixed the size or the, the size limits of the volumes. But you don't have to do that. And I think you can even mix and match so you could have say a time machine volume that you mm. don't want to uh, you know use more than x number of of gigabytes or terabytes or whatever and then another volume that just uses whatever's left you know i think i think you can do all of that because apfs doesn't really care because it's on an ssd mm-hmm. it's not storing it's just using a blob of storage for everything it's not actually like you said it's it's a volume not a partition so i think there i think you might have been able to finagle that but you're right i can't find of course i'm in catalina because that's the the safest way to do uh our recording setup these days but um so there might be something in big sur but uh, maybe not so maybe somebody in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com will let us know i can't wait for my new chair to arrive i ordered it in early december so shipping delays mm-hmm. shipping delays cause now I can't get it to squeak either. I was going to make a sound effect. Nope. Okay. The world is against me, John. Take us to David, if you would, Hold please. Hold on. Oh. No, mine. No, yours won't squeak either. They, they don't squeak on demand. Anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, David uh, gives us uh, kind of a follow-up here. Uh, don't know if you have experienced this issue or not, but twice this week, my Apple Magic Mouse has become very sluggish. And the cursor greatly lagged behind the actual movement of the physical mouse. Searching online, I found the following. Shift, hold down shift and option and click your Bluetooth symbol. Choose reset Bluetooth module. And that did the trick and everything's working. So we've had a few people report. uh, Someone else wrote in and reported something similar that their wireless um, input device uh, Apple input device was sluggish, so maybe a bug in Big Sur. Yeah, interesting. Huh? Yeah, but that reset. Was, I mean, this was a one-off. Yeah, somebody else said they had the same uh, similar issue with their Magic Trackpad. So, mm. Mm. interesting. 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 All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah that that reset Bluetooth thing was super handy. Uh, but it's got to be shift and option, right, John? Is that that right? That to to get there, I think. Yes, the key. Yes, mm-hmm. shift option. Ah, look at that. Yes. No. How come I'm not seeing that? Is that a Catalina thing? Oh no no no! Shift control option. I have option. Huh? How come I can't see this on mine? Shift option. The command option? No. Option doesn't do it all by itself. Are you able to pull it up on yours, John? Huh. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 on Catalina, shift option, you, you, you'll see a debug menu. Ah. And reset Bluetooth modules in the debug menu. Thank you, sir. That'll do it. 
Yeah, All I think right. on Big Sur, it it immediately, it, it appears, the menu is different. Okay. It's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. That's great. Helpful. All right. Uh, Cliff writes, he says, this feels like a novice question. There is no such thing as far as I'm concerned, Cliff. Uh, the answers are only obvious once you know them. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this stuff. Uh, he's, and I will prove that right now. He says, when using Apple Mail, it never seems to scroll to locations based on keystrokes the way I would expect. For example, in Outlook, if I have the list sorted by person and then type N, it will scroll to the first N in the name column. If I keep typing quickly N-O, it will adjust to the last name starting with N-O. All right, fair. In Apple Mail... If I have the sort set by from and type N, it will go to the subject line starting with N. Is this just a huge mail flaw or do I need remedial training? No, I don't think you need uh, remedial training, Cliff. Um, I did some testing with this in Big Sur this morning. And what I'm finding is that it's not consistent. The first time I, I was sorted by date, um, but then I tried this with other sorts and it didn't seem to make a difference. Uh, the first time I typed J, it brought me to an email with the subject January invoice. because I got one from somebody the other day. Great. The second time I typed it, it brought me to an email from Jonathan. So I'm not sure what the logic here is and where it goes. I'm sure. But I am sure that this is Apple's attempt to guess at what we're trying to ask for. And and therefore the target is moving and we don't get to figure it out. If somebody knows, let us know at feedback at MacGeekab.com. Because like Cliff, I am perplexed by this. Yeah, I am too. What I'm not perplexed by, Dave, is the email address you just gave us, which is feedback at MacGeekab.com. That is feedback at MacGeekab.com. And you are correct at that being correct, <laughs> I think, as far as I know. All right. Uh, Bruce has a question. He says... um, do you have any experience working? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Where are we here? I have the wrong. Oh, I thought I had the right one. Did I have? Boy, I think I put the wrong email in here. Anyway. Uh, oh, right. He was. Oh, okay. He was asking about his like Unify stuff and Ubiquity, but it's not about that. It's about Terminal and M1 Max. He has a piece of software that he needs to run. For him, it happens to be for his to manage his ubiquity uh, unify routers which is great uh, but this is true for any of us stuff you run from the terminal most things that have previously been built for the terminal are compiled as intel apps uh, makes sense that's how mac os and macs were for a long long time uh, now though you've got two different platforms and terminal an apple app like all other apple apps is universal now, meaning that it will run natively on both M1 and Intel Max. Well, that creates a problem when you are trying to run an Intel app inside of the terminal that's running M1 code. Some things will run. Most things are not happy about running. And so the trick is you have to run them inside an Intel instance of terminal. So the way I did it was I duplicated the terminal app on my Mac and I named one of them terminal Intel or Rosetta, uh, but it doesn't matter. Call it whatever you want, just so you know what it is. Rosetta, it be, of course, being the technology that uh, the name of the technology that translates 
uh, Intel app to run on M1. And then on this new one that you've named Terminal Rosetta or Terminal Intel, do a get info on it and check the box that says run in Rosetta. Uh, and you can do this with any universal apps. And when you do that, well, yeah, any universal apps. If it's an M1 only app, of course, no, you can't run it in Rosetta because there is no Intel code for it to run that way. But check the, the second instance of Terminal to run this way, then run it. And now you have an Intel environment inside which you can run all of your Intel terminal apps and everything should run just fine. That's been my experience. So, uh, so that's, that's the, uh, that's the takeaway here is, and you can do this with, with lots of apps. I, if you, and I know flash has, has been deprecated, but uh, as mostly an academic exercise, I made sure that I can say that accurately that I ran flash on my M one MacBook air and the way that I did it was I took a universal copy of Chrome, duplicated it, did the same little run in Rosetta trick, ran that. And then that in running in Intel mode, Chrome will run flash or at least would. I haven't tried it since January 1st and when it was supposed to all go away. But uh, running M1, it would not ever load flash, which I found really interesting. I mean, I guess it makes sense. The flash code that's inside Chrome is compiled Intel. So when Chrome says it's universal, it's like, yeah, mostly universal. So anyway, found that interesting. And uh, hopefully it helps somebody down the road. It's just one of those things to file in the back of your head when you're banging against the wall with it. It's like, wait, 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 I can do it this way. And then and then you get to, then you look like a genius. It's amazing. So, yeah, it's good. We like to look. We like to look good, John. It's, you know, we're <laughs> geeks. That's how it goes. All right. Uh, we have lots more questions, John. The next thing I want to do, though, is I want to talk about our next two sponsors, if that's okay for you. Okay. All right. Cool. Listen, have you ever had a mattress that hasn't been quite right? I mean, it is terrible. And the problem is you don't know it necessarily because it happens gradually. And it, man, like it can be bad news. And recently... I got to take the Helix Sleep quiz to figure out what kind of mattress I want. Spoiler alert, I was matched with the Midnight model mattress because I wanted something medium and I sleep on my side. I hate to use a, the wrong cliche, but night and day is probably the right thing to use between what we were using before and what we're using with Helix now. And the great part is that Helix knows that we're all unique. And so they have all these different mattresses with firmness and cooling and all of this stuff. Really, really great stuff. And we've been super happy. We've had our Helix mattress for a couple months now, but you don't have to take my word for it because Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by both GQ and Wired magazine. So you get to go to helixsleep.com slash MGG. And you get to take their two-minute sleep quiz, and then they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, 10 years, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. So Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for Mac Geekab listeners at helixsleep.com slash MGG. Go check it out now. Our thanks to Helix at helixsleep.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. If you're like me, you like saving money and 
you like using your cell phone. If you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, why are you doing that? You can switch to Mint Mobile just like I did. It is the easiest way to save. It's crazy the amount of money I'm saving being on Mint Mobile because Mint Mobile is the first company to sell premium wireless online only. And that lets Mint Mobile maximize your savings with plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You use your own phone with Mint Mobile. You keep your phone number, of course. It's super easy to transfer it in. We did all four of our family's phones in like the 20 minutes that it takes to cook dinner one night. Seriously, all of them. And we were good to go. And they've got this thing where one person, each person gets their own plan, which is great. So you mix and match your data the way you want, but they allow you to have one person. So my account gets to manage the whole family. And of course I get to pay for the whole family, but you know, that's how that works. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash MGG. So you can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you know, we were were talking with Cliff about, uh, he said, you know, remedial questions or something. uh, And PJ in the chat room pointed out something. He said, uh, (laughs) and I I like this, he said, my remedial training every week is Mac Geek Gab. And he says, sometimes I need to repeat the messages to sink in. This is part of the reason, and we know this. I mean, I need it too. Uh, It's just how our human brains work. This is part of the reason that we put chapter markers for every single question and every topic and every sponsor read, for that matter, in here in Mac Geek Gab. So it's in every episode. I can't say it's in every episode we've ever done. I think it's in every episode starting with like episode 28 or something like that when Michael Johnston uh, came on board and and started doing all that for us back in the early days. But uh, but we do. We put these chapters in. If your podcatcher, be it Apple's podcasts or Overcast or Downcast or you know whatever, uh, supports chapters, which all of the ones I just mentioned do, then you will be able to see chapters and and you can navigate and go back and and it's also there. You know, if we're talking about like we started the show talking about iOS fourteen four, if you don't have an iPhone, you only have a Mac, you can skip over that and just go to the next thing and go to the next thing. Uh, but you can also go back. And and navigate through. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that we have those chapters for you because uh, it's one of the things we do for all of you. You want to take us to Andrew with the next question, John? Yes. Um, so Andrew says, um, I have three Aero Pros in my house. While exploring the Aero app on my iPhone, and um, if you run the Aero app, you'll see that there's a activity um thing on the bottom so that's that's where to go to see this um i was looking at data usage and stumbled upon the category of Eero devices so it shows not only all your devices that are registered but it, it'll show the Eero devices themselves and show you the the data traffic sure um let's see i mean i can kind of <laughs> condense this um he was seeing 11 gigabytes of download data uh for one week just from uh, his Eero devices yes so just the Eero devices category 
like I mentioned, uh, when when you go to this activity tab, you and then uh, I think you'll see upload and download, and you click on one of those, and it'll list all your devices. And on the bottom is Eero devices. So that's, I guess, internal housekeeping or whatever they're doing. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, personally. 11 gigabytes uh, of data a week for doing Eero stuff to me seems like kind of a lot. <laughs> I agree. I mean, a speed test. I mean, I don't think a speed test. Uh, it, uh, Eero will run a speed test every day, but I don't think a speed test uses that much data at all. So I don't know if it's their. Um, I mean, they have some additional services that they offer, which may require them to download certain databases, right? Probably, I I know Eero, like Eero and Plume are my two favorite mesh systems, especially for like consumer grade stuff, because they're cloud managed. And part of their cloud management is, like you said, there's this this database that they keep of all the devices and what works best with each device. So like Wi-Fi standards aren't implemented equally across all devices. So they know, all right, if you've got this model Android phone, we need to treat that one differently when we roam this way. Plume is absolutely the best at this, but Eero is pretty good. So it's possible that database is is moving back and forth with with Eero for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then it is cloud managed. So all of this data, you know, the, like the, the, the fact that, you know, you have all these devices connected and all that stuff that is stored in your profile on the cloud. So like that data is going back and forth too. Um, So yeah, it makes sense. I've heard other people report this too, John, you you know, I mean, what you're seeing and what uh, Andrew's seeing is, is absolutely expected, but it seems like, yeah. Now the other, yeah, the other thing is that, so looking at the graph, so it breaks down the data in the upload and download, and it shows that almost all of this Eero device data was for downloads. Um, downloads? I sent them a screenshot of mine, and may, maybe you could take a peek at yours while I'm uh, while I'm bringing that up here, Dave. Uh, I don't have this on mine because I'm using Eero for my Wi-Fi, but it's in bridge mode because I'm currently using my Synology oh. router. So if I go, if I launch the Eero app and go to activity at the bottom, all I see is my speed test. So uh, speed test results. Yeah. So I don't, I don't get, unfortunately, I don't get that, um, that kind of data. I can, although I can get that data out of my Synology router um, because I do traffic Hmm. management there. So I can, I'll take a look and see if it's doing the same thing uh, on mine and, and I may do it during the show or I may do it after the show, depending on. How long this okay. conversation goes And on. yeah, my setup, and and so again, so my setup, so I have three Eros, uh, two of the legacy and one of the beacons. But yeah, so mine shows 3.3 gigabytes for a week, and it's almost the opposite of his in that it's all upload data and not download data. So. Interesting. I have to wonder if some of this is... um like devices connected via ethernet that are just being mis include like incorrectly included in the Eero. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's that seems like a lot. Um, I am, I am looking here for, let's say download traffic uh, from my router 
And my iMac in the office is the big one. My M1 Air is the next one. The Xbox. <laughs> that reminds me, my son is off at school, but he uh, Xbox lets him essentially remote in and use the Xbox here to play games with his friend who has an Xbox in his dorm room on the other side of campus. Uh, so, yeah. and the other night he called me and he was like, Hey, uh, do you have a minute? And I'm like, sure. He says, go downstairs, put this in. And we were playing uh, NHL on the Xbox against each other. So it works anyway. Uh, so lots of data there, but I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Here's one of my heroes downloaded 1.2 gigs of data in the last week. Okay. Yeah. So I too am seeing this. I'm looking in the upload category, 165 megs for that same Eero last week. So, um, and it looks like that's the only Eero for me. It's only one of them. I guess they, it, it nominates one to be the, the bandwidth hog and, and to sort of manage the, the flow, which makes sense. So I've got more downloaded than uploaded in the last week, John, for whatever that's worth. But it's doing it for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's not a biggie because I don't have any data caps. But for people that have data caps that. um, Yeah, yeah, I don't know if 11 gigs is a is going to put you over the top. I mean, I think the data caps that have been proposed are a little bit higher than that. But it it depends. Like the Comcast ones are one point two terabytes. Um, but I've heard okay. we, we've heard from listeners who have like 250 gig data caps. So, hmm. you know, 11 gigs a week times four weeks. I mean, you know, that's a 30 year data cap almost like, I mean, it's getting there, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. That's hmm, yeah, I don't know. That's um, not a third. I don't know why I was thinking it was a third. I was thinking 150, not 250. But still, it's a significant amount. Uh, and mine is doing it. So we know, and I don't have any Ethernet devices plugged into my Eros. My Eros are plugged in Ethernet, but there aren't any devices hanging off of them. So it's not, at least in my case, it's not a, you know, misreporting of things. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'll reach out to them and ask them what the heck they're doing. That would be, yeah, that's good. All right, we'll do that. Uh, in the meantime, we will answer David's question. Moving right along, David says, I've been using Readle Scanner Pro since it came out and their latest update doesn't allow me to rename the documents after I scan. The keyboard covers the text box and I can't see what I'm typing. My guess is that this is a regression that they will fix. However, it leads to a good question. Uh, He says, I use the scanner app every day and I can't continue this way without the ability to rename files. So I'm looking at the app store and I have and there are so many that I don't know which one to choose from any suggestions. And I do have a suggestion. And it's free and you already have it. It's called the files app. Uh, Of course, I realized that Apple uh, hides the scan option very well in the files app. And this may be why you aren't using it to scan any documents. Um, It's less hidden in iOS 14 than it was in iOS 13, but it is still very much hidden there. So the way you find the scanning function in files is you launch files. Navigate to your destination folder first. So get to where you want the scan to be saved, right? Then in the upper right, this is on iOS 14. In the upper right, there's a little ellipses in a circle, the three dots in a circle. Tap that, and then you'll see, you should see, scan documents there. 
And this is a very full featured scanner. It will auto detect the page and scan automatically if you want. So if you have to scan a hundred page book, super easy. You can have it scan in color, in black and white, in grayscale, all of that stuff. And then, of course, when it saves, you can rename the file because you're right there on the Files app and you can do whatever you want. And so anything that links with the Files app, like I scan to my uh, my disk station all the time because I have Synology Drive linked to my Files app and I'm good to go. So that's that's the scanning app that I would recommend starting with because it's right there on your phone. So there you go. But, John, you found another one on the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found this out the other day um, or I don't know why. I, yeah, I just saw this icon and thought I'd, I'd click on it. So sure. I opened up a notes in in a note in notes on my iPhone and I saw there's a, a camera icon there and I'm like, oh, what happens if I press that? Well, if I press that, it says choose photo or video, take photo or video and the same icon that you found dave scan documents so that's also available in the notes app awesome yeah right if you don't want to save it to a file save it to your notes yeah right and here's the uh, interesting thing um so i scanned a, a book cover the title of the document defaults to um the first few characters in the recognized text so it's kind of uh ocr thing what that's pretty cool yep. Huh. Wow. Because we've had people ask about OCRing. Yeah. So, so, the, so it does OCR to title the document, which, which is nice. Oh, I got to mess with that. We had some. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had people. And, and then I think here in, where is it? Uh, notes. To, speaking of scanning, I'm trying to find, I think notes on the Mac also has a uh, scan option somewhere. Yeah. And I think like mail, you can use your phone uh, here to we are. scan it, it, in, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so notes on the Mac, go to the file menu and then there's import from phone and it shows JB iPhone 12 mini. Okay. So that's neat. So it, I guess wireless. Yeah. So it remotely uses it. Uh, so the Mac can use your phone as a, as a scanner too. Yeah. It's kind of neat. And as a, a picture taker, like you can, I've attached, I've attached mm-hmm. pictures to mail by doing the same thing, like import from phone. And then it's like, take the picture and boom, it's, it's an attachment to mail on my mm-hmm. Mac. And yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, this is the whole on the ecosystem thing that Apple does so well at. So, uh, you want to take us to John, John. Uh, yes. All right. John, John. Well, yeah, you're John. I was saying, do you want to take us to John, comma, John? Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. His name's not John, John. <laughs> yes. Right. No, I don't think so. Um, all right, here we go. John has a question and let me, all right. Uh, me and my wife got new iPhones and watches, but we share an Apple ID. We cannot separate our health app data out from our two watches. Any ideas? Um, yes. So as far as I can tell, um, Dave, uh, health data is tied to your Apple ID. And I wasn't able to find any provision within health to add a user. So uh, I'll suggest a hack, but the solution here is set up another Apple ID on the other device. Yeah. Health at this point was not designed to support multiple users, I guess is, is the answer here. 
Well, an Apple ID isn't meant to be shared amongst multiple users, but you're right. Like, I mean, both of these things are true. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the trick. I, I, I think the, well, what we share your hack. I have some ideas about this, but I'm curious what, what your hack All right. would be. So if you look in health, Dave, I've never done this, but it, it, it's kind of neat. So there may be a hack here that can let you uh, do this. Um, I don't know if I really like it. Okay, if if you look in the health app at the bottom, there's an item that says "Export all health data." Um, mm. So you may want to give that a shot. And when I selected that, um, it showed my Mac as a potential destination. So I said, "Yeah, send it to my Mac," and it then put it um, using AirDrop, and then it put a zip file in my directory. And then I double clicked on the zip file and the zip file and and what's in. So health data consists of, I think JSON. So I I saw a whole bunch of JSON files, which is some standard for representing data and, and a a couple of XML files. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. Now there is, I, and I'm like, I'm curious if anybody makes an app other than Apple that can deal with this data. And there is, I found a program called health data importer. Uh, and I found a few articles uh, that talked about it and suggested that you may be able to parse out, uh, or input selected data from it. Makes sense. So yeah. We try We've mentioned health data importer on the show before for people like, you know, when you, I think it's built for people that back up their phone, want to start from scratch, but want to get their health data back in. And that's the, you know, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't like it. No, you're still going to run into this problem again. (laughs) Like, like there is a hack here. You're right. But like you, I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And actually, yeah, the reason you'd want to use this, I, I found this out when I got my iPhone 12. Um, apparently, your health data disappears or it doesn't carry over from one phone to the other. Unless you sync with iCloud and then and then it'll come back down. Right. And I right. did not do that. The, the, the data wasn't critical. Sure. You know, I just. But that's why you would use health again. data importer is you would grab that and mm-hmm. you could slurp it into your new phone and then repopulate. But, yep, that's the key. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So, John. Yeah, I got, I think, oh. I think, I, yeah, the, the health data that I import actually is, so let me see. So one, I have a smart scale, which I think I told you about. And so yeah. the thing is, health will import all of that stuff, not only, uh, and some of these scales are pretty cool. So it's not just sure. your weight, but it has your like percentage of, you know, BMI, uh, all sorts of very interesting uh, statistics and you can. Yep. And health can import that. The other thing I did, Dave, is that you had told me that you can do this. So um, certain labs will let you integrate uh, or health is able to import blood test data. Yeah. Yeah. I've got um, like a, I've got a string of COVID ne- negative, thankfully, COVID tests this, in my health app for, for from exactly that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I use Quest. So Quest has some sort of interface that where they'll offer to uh, to you know import the data into health. Yeah. So. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, the health app it's they it's pretty good. They like I like how it all pulls together. It's good. 
So, John, this all this talk of Apple ID reminds me of a conversation. Well, two conversations, in fact, uh, one that I had with you here on this show about how you sent in or you sold your MacBook Pro and then someone was able to uh, buy Apple Music for themselves on your tab uh, with your old MacBook Pro, despite the fact that you had wiped the drive. And it reminds me of a conversation that I had this week with my friend, Will, who is a consultant. Uh, he runs a business that that helps people with their computers. Right. You know, and uh, and he called me this week to tell me a story. And the story was that. For Christmas, a guy bought his wife a new, let's say a Mac mini. I think it was a Mac mini, but let's just say it was uh, a Mac mini. And he he bought it, you know, obviously on his Apple ID, but he never other than than grabbing the box and wrapping it. He never touched this thing. She unwrapped it on Christmas. She set it up. All was good, except that at some point, and, I, and I'm not exactly sure how I, I forget. Actually, I know Will knew at some point uh, all of his text messages and contacts and all of that stuff were coming into her computer she doesn't know his Apple ID password. He never touched her computer. He never would have logged into it and all of these problems. And in it, it's clear based on all the troubleshooting that, that was gone through here that like, and, and, and your experience speaks to this. There used to be a way for us to see all the devices that were attached to our Apple ID in Apple's like ownership system. Now, when you log in to look at the things that are attached to your Apple ID, all you see are things that you have logged into with your Apple ID. And once you log out, they, they disappear from the list, but there was another list years ago that had nothing to do with Apple IDs. It was before Apple IDs even existed. And it was like, we have assigned this serial number of this machine to you. And even if you wiped it and gave it to somebody else and they had sold it to somebody else and they had sold it to even somebody else, it could still be attached to you until you went in and like told Apple, which you could do in the interface, go away, make this device not mine anymore. Okay. I am now convinced, John, that that database still exists and is still populated when you buy a new machine. Uh, and but the difference is we don't have the user interface for it anymore. And clearly it can cause some problems. You saw it with the Apple music thing. Will saw it with this machine that mysteriously just started logging into this other iCloud account. Uh, so if you sell a machine, I think it's worth calling Apple and saying like, Hey, can you remove this from the database that we all know exists that you don't let me touch anymore. And if somebody knows how to touch it, please let us know. Cause that would be super helpful, obviously. But, um, but it, right. Isn't this weird? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, another interesting thing happened, John, uh, mm -hmm. after the, one of the symptoms of this issue that, that my friend will was having was that he could log in with her account or with his account. Right. Cause now they both have IDs on this, on this machine. But when it came time to authenticate for any security operation, none of the admin accounts would work on this machine. Yeah. 
And so like he tried all kinds of different things called Apple, got him, you know, tech support, yada, yada, yada. You got to reformat that thing restore from a backup. Okay, great. So he reformatted it. He did not restore from a backup, got it logged in all good. When it came time to authenticate, no go. It's like, wait a minute, wipe the drive, still have the same symptom. What's going on? Call Apple again. They said, oh, that's a T2 chip issue. You need to reset your SMC. That'll solve it. And guess what? It solved it. So in Mm. retrospect, didn't need to wipe the drive to fix this problem. It's somehow the, the password database in the T2 chip got out of sync with the password database on the Mac. I may, that may be an incorrect uh, explanation of what's actually happening under the, under the hood. But for those of us that, that, you know, for, 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 for the, for a good way of thinking about it, that's exactly what happened. The, the T2 chips password database got munged. Even if the T, I don't even know if the T2 chip has a password database, just bear with me on this, but effectively reset the SMC. It resets that everybody's happy. So if you run into a problem where you cannot do the authenticate, you know, with your password to install software, remove things or whatever that is, reset the SMC. And you know what that makes me think of, John? What? Those of us that troubleshoot computers are going to be really screwed for the next two years with M1 Max while we learn about these little things because it's all brand new different. Um, with those because there ain't no SMC as we talked about earlier in the episode. We talked about it with better grammatical form than, than I just used, but the message is the same. So <sighs> any thoughts on any of this, John? It's craziness. If you ask me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I want to read a, th- this is a, we, we, we tend not to talk too much about Apple news here. Because there's lots of other shows that do that. Uh, and we're we're going to break from that very, very briefly, but only because I want to make sure you know what we are and aren't doing with your data here when you listen to Mac Geek Gab. Um, we do get some data from you simply by nature of you downloading the show from us, right? We get, at the very, very least, we get your IP address when you download it. And we get your user agent because it's effectively like a web browser pulling it down. So we have some data about you. Um, we keep that data private. But I want to read something that Tim Cook says, and I want to explain uh, to you what's going on in the podcast industry. And I'll try to be as brief as possible. So this was a thing that Tim Cook said this week. Technology does not need vast troves of personal data stitched together across dozens of websites and apps in order to succeed. Advertising existed and thrived for decades without it. And we're here today because of the path of least resistance is rarely the path of wisdom. If a business is built on misleading users on data exploitation, on choices that are no choices at all, then it does not deserve our praise. It deserves reform. We should not look away from the bigger picture and a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theory is juiced by algorithms. We can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement, the longer the better, and all with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. Too many are still asking the question, how much can we get away with when they need to be asking, what are the consequences? 
So there are companies out there. I'll leave their names out of this, but you can actually, I won't leave their names out of this because I'm going to tell you how to find mm-hmm. if, if, well, this is important. So there are companies out there that want to know if you listened to this show and also if you visited one of our sponsors' websites, right? We don't let them do this again, just for clarity, uh, but they are, they are out there because they want to know. You know, if you want to let a company know that you listened to this show and bought from them, then you choose on your own to use our coupon code like an MGG or, you know, a, a special URL like mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's fine. And and to me, that's you choosing to use that. So there is at least some level of involvement from you that, yeah, you're telling them that you heard about this from Mac which is great. But if you don't want Mint Mobile to know that you heard about this on Mac Geekab, you don't have to. You can just go to Mint Mobile and sign up and, and we don't get any credit for it. And, and you know, I'd, I'd prefer them to know that you came through us. But I get it if you don't want to. That's, that's your choice. That's how this works. Well, there are companies out there that want to have us redirect our podcast feed through their servers so they can collect IP address and user agent. And then... On, and I don't think they're doing this with Mint Mobile, so I, I don't want to make Mint complicit. That's just my example. But on Sponsor X's website, they put a, 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 a tracking pixel on there that collects the same information. And then they take these two databases and they relate them together. The problem is that Sponsor X might also get your name and your address and your email address and your phone number because you just bought something from them. And so now that data can be tied to their tracking pixel, which now can be tied to this. Now let's say this show isn't a show about technology, but this is a show about bipolar, right? People with bipolar disorder. And you don't want anyone to know that you have bipolar disorder, but you definitely want to be anonymously part of a community that does. Maybe you don't want anybody to know that you're an Apple fan. And so you listen to this show and you think it's anonymous and it is. But if we were to use this tracking stuff, it wouldn't be. And it's a really slippery slope. And when they first came to us a couple of years ago with this, we were like, dude, we've seen this on the web. We've been publishing on the web for 20 years. It, it, when people came, they're like, oh, we're, all we're doing is just making sure that you as the, the host gets credit. And like, yeah, that's what they said to us 15 years ago on the web too. And then GDPR had to come into place because people weren't responsible with the data. And I think Tim really summed it up there. So at the moment, we aren't and have never participated in any of this tracking that's going on. Uh, if we change our minds on that, and I really don't think we will, we will do our level best to tell you. But part of the problem is there's no way to get you to opt in. If you, if we were using this kind of tracking or for shows that are using this tracking, you download it before they tell you that, because there's no opt in in your podcatcher. Speaking of podcatchers, Overcast from Marco Arment will show you what trackers are used by each show. And you can go into the info, you need know, subscribe to the show or whatever, go into the info and it will tell you pod sites, P-O-D-S-I-G-H-T-S and Chartable, C-H-A-R-T-A-B-L-E, are two of the companies that are doing this type of tracking. They just contract it out, you know, to anybody that can, that can use it, of course. And technically... John, I don't think this is illegal. Certainly, technically, it's feasible. You you said a very good thing, I, and I, I uh, I'll let you say it because I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up if you uh, if I if I say <laughs> it. So go ahead. To wrap up this conversation, yeah, the way I concluded it, and I think you agreed, was 
Can it be done? Yes. Um, is it legal? Probably. Is it ethical? Probably not. I agree. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm looking at the daily, uh, the New York Times show, and it, it there's in, in Overcast. And there's a, a little icon like right at the top of my thing for the daily. And it says privacy and tracking. And it lists all of the services that the daily use and what they're doing with it. And the daily uses, uh, you know, it says for pod track, it uses for stats. Okay, that's fine. You know, um, it uses Simplecast for hosting and stats. Okay, that's fine. Chartable for tracking and stats. Pod sites for tracking. You see what, and the, the tracking is the one that Marco has like a big warning sign on, like may follow individual listener behavior across multiple shows or the web, often to track responses to ads. So beware, folks. We're, we've got your back, but we can't change the industry, uh, or at least we have been uh, unsuccessful in changing the industry thus far. But I've actually been working really hard on this for a couple of years, just trying to get people to pay attention. So. Anyway, just wanted to make sure you knew because it looks like a day of reckoning is coming towards our industry. And I wanted you to know where we stood before the, the subject came up. So thank you for, for bearing with me. Now I have a question. John, do you have any more on that? Because I have a question to, to kind of leave us with. For I, mean, the week. I mean, the good news is that I think you mentioned this, but, but I was fiddling here. Um, okay. Safari will now tell you the trackers that it has prevented uh prevented from tracking you right right uh in the latest safari in safari 14 so that's nice so that's good for awareness to see who was trying to track you but you only get that in safari you don't like apple's podcast right. app does not yet mm -hmm. have any way of a telling you or b avoiding it uh it'd be very difficult mm -hmm. to avoid it but if anybody can do it apple can and I think we know where Apple's stance is on this. So I'm very curious to see where they where they land. Right. Um, the other thing that came to mind, uh, you know, so you were giving uh, an example of someone wanting to correlate a health condition with other data or potentially being sure. able to do that. Yeah. The, uh, the intent of HIPAA, Health Information Privacy Act, um, or Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, I think. Okay. No, that's something else. No, H-I-P-P-A, Health Information Privacy. Um, if you've been to the doctor, you probably had to sign something where they have to disclose what they're going to do with your data and who, they, who they're going to give it to. And you have to right. opt in to that. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, they're going to send your, uh, you know, your blood to somebody else, I guess, or send, send stuff outside of their privacy sphere, then they have to. They have to tell you yeah, your consent to do yeah, that. That's right. Yeah. But a podcast does not have to get your consent, regardless of the subject matter of the podcast. Um, so, mm. yeah, it it's, uh, you know, it's just it's a slippery slope. It, everybody that I know in the industry personally that's that's agreeing to do this is doing it for the purpose of like, oh, we just want to know, like, did somebody listen? Because they know that if you listen to this show, you probably listen to four others. And, the, and let's say, you know, you heard about Mint Mobile on this show. Again, Mint's the wrong example. Let's say you heard about Sponsor X on this show, and then you heard about Sponsor X on, uh, you know, on the, on the next show. And they want to know, 
you know, you might use our coupon code for it, but they want to give the, the other show credit, too, because they know that it takes more than once to hear something before you buy, usually. So they want to be able to sort of spread the credit around and say, actually, we should renew on show X because that is helping the whole overall picture. Uh, so it's it, it is with, you know, trying to solve a problem in the industry is it. But, man, it's a slippery slope. And we humans have proven that we're not really good with this. Um, responsibly. So anyway, I want to ask a question before we've, we spent 10 minutes on this. So thank you for your time. Uh, hopefully you continue to trust us uh, because all you can do is believe us. Well, you can check overcast and see that, mm. uh, you know, when you look at Mac geek cabin overcast, it says there's two, it doesn't say privacy and tracking. It just says privacy. So that's good. And it says that there's two things. Mac geek gab is one of the things uh, that it shows and cash fly, which it, it shows. And we tell you every week that we uh, all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you comes from cash fly. So there you go. I have a question though, that I want to leave us with for the week, John, and that is what is your spam workflow? Um, I realized this week that my spam workflow stinks because I'm not checking my spam as regularly as I should be. And I need to be better about it because I know I'm missing things that are just going into my spam folder. And then I use Gmail as my main spam uh, sort of bucket and it it deletes things that have been in spam for more than 30 days. So there's a lot of things I don't see. Um, I don't think I'm missing any email, but isn't that the point? <laughs> so I'm curious. I want a better spam workflow. Uh, John, do you have do you have a better spam workflow than me or are you kind of in the same boat? Um, yeah, so I use the uh, so for my Gmail accounts, yeah, that that uses their mechanism which sometimes get gets it right, sometimes gets it wrong. Right. Um I also in Mail app I have junk filtering enabled as well and that that snags some things too. Okay. But so those are the two things that and then my workflow is maybe once a week, I'll look in my spam, in my junk folder. <laughs> and if I find anything that's not junk, I then drag it out. I think uh, from what I recall, Google is smart enough to see that you did that and say, oh, OK, that wasn't spam. Sorry about that. They're supposed to be smart enough to see that, but they aren't in my experience. Oh. They, I, but, you know, there you go. So when I used to do this, uh and it, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm truly embarrassed to admit this, but it has been months since I've gone through my spam folder. It's just been busy, you know, um, and it, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for it to be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that right now because it's a terrible process. And it also makes me feel filthy after I'm done reading through all those subject lines. Mm -hmm. But um, but I would read I would organize my spam folder. I would sort it by subject. And that made it more efficient for me to go through because there's so many pieces of spam that are either the same or very, very similar subjects. So I could just select delete, 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 you know, and, and go through mad swaths at a time. And then the ones that were one-off subject lines really did stand out for me. So that is my workflow mm -hmm. when I do it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious mm -hmm. if anybody else out there has a, I'm just, I want to know what your workflow is. So we'll, you know, please let us know. That's, that's what, uh, that's what I got once a week. Sounds like a good thing to me. I have it. I have it on my calendar every week, John, and I'm, I'm really good about following my calendar. That is mm -hmm. the one thing that I, I guess because I gave my myself permission to skip it a couple of weeks in a row at some point. Now it's just like, Oh, I can, I can skip that again. It's fine. You know, the world didn't end, but I know I'm going to miss stuff. So I don't know. 
That's uh Yeah, one point I use spam sieve. Yeah. Then I, I forgot why I stopped using it. Um Well it's not server based, right? I mean the world has sort of moved away from local mm-hmm. like because you have an iPhone and you can't run spam sieve on your iPhone, so you need it to be server based, mm-hmm. at least by and large. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is, man. But hopefully we'll together we'll come together. Like John Lennon said. Do you know that Come Together, John, was a, it was written as a campaign song for someone? Did you know that? Hmm. Okay, it was. I'm going to give you, let's say two guesses. In fact, I'm not going to tell you. uh, I'll let John guess. If John, if if you get it right now, then I will, um, I'll I'll, I'll say it in the show. Otherwise, we'll wait till next week. So uh, two guesses, John. Any, any, any guesses Uh, as to who it would be? JFK? Nope. That's one. Nope. Uh, for or after? Uh, it would be after JFK. Hmm. Um, Carter? No. No. It was, I, I will give you this. It was, it, <laughs> the song was not successful. Uh, it, so much so that right. you, I don't need, like, this was a, this was not a uh, a candidate that that made it to the the national ballot. Let's let's put it that way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll we'll I'll I'll make sure to share that next week because it's. It, but hopefully, one of you will write in with the answer because I'm sure one of you knows. In fact, I, I know of several listeners that if you don't know it, it will shock me. But it shocked me when I found this out, and I only found it out in the last couple of years. So anyway. Uh, there you go. But we come together and do this. We help each other. It's good. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, make sure to check out our sponsors. HelixSleep.com slash MGG. MintMobile.com slash MGG. Linode.com slash MGG. TextExpander.com slash podcast. Uh, we told you how to contact us. We Do you have anything to add, John, of how we would do this? How to contact us? I don't know. Um, or anything you want to add at all. Um, hey, there's Twitter. I'm John F. Ron. He's Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab. The publication is Mac Observer. Oh, and there's Pilot Pete, who's piloting his heart out. I miss Pilot Pete. Hopefully we can get him back here. Why can't we get him on camera with us? We could. I got to call Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we have the technology. I feel like uh, we're the $6 million man. Except not really. Maybe someday. Uh, that's it. That's what we got. Thanks for listening. Tell somebody about the show. Share it far and wide, and uh, see you next week. John, do you have maybe one more thing to say? I not only, I, I have not one, not two, but three things, Dave. And those three things are don't get caught. Made up.